Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. We are recording the Trail Less Traveled today in the historic barn located at 3800 Rattlesnake Drive, owned by Smoke Elser. And I'm sitting here next to Jordan Knutson. Jordan and Smoke work together, and I can describe this place in a few words. Um, for one, I got lost trying to find my way up here, which is refreshing that you can still get lost in Missoula and the rattlesnake. And then this wonderful snowy drive coming up to a historic barn that is kind of surrounded by uh, some more modern homes. But you walk in to this spot and we're sitting in a room right now next to a wood-burning stove, pot of hot coffee, and a bunch of tools on the wall. And outside the window, I can see some older mules enjoying the last days of their life. That's how I can describe this place. But when I pulled up, Jordan told me a little bit about how the line of houses used to be Smoke's driveway. And Smoke's sitting across from me and he's nodding his head. So I just thought maybe I'd hand it over to Smoke and you can tell us about this place where we are recording right now and what it means to you. I moved up here in 1967. This old barn was a apple storage they had a lot of cattle in here at one time, so I cleaned the barn out, and I use it now. It's a stone barn with about three-foot-thick walls, and I've lived here since 1967, and I leased a lot of land around here from the Montana Power. But as time went on, they sold off some of their land, and it kept selling and selling, and finally I was able to buy a, a chunk of it here. This is where I have run my packing outfit for many years. Now I'm going to hand it over to Jordan, and Jordan... I have a lot of mentors in my life, and I feel like I'm sitting here with one of yours, Smoke. Could you please introduce Smoke? Smoke's definitely been a mentor in my life for not only packing and so on, but other areas. I actually moved to Montana in 2001. I was born and raised down south and lived most of my life around Austin, Texas. And then moving up here as a late teenager... I grew a really large passion for horse and mule travel. I had been around livestock most of my life, but I found it intriguing to be able to get into the backcountry and, and move about both comfortably and quietly at a simple pace of three miles per hour, as has become immortalized in my brain by Smoke Elser and the way he has traveled for so many miles. Shortly after I moved here in 2002, I started trying packing and movement and so on in the backcountry and by trial and error lost uh, <laughs> lost a lot of battles and gained a lot of respect for how this is supposed to go and then in 2004 I actually took this packing class that takes place right here in this historic barn and I don't even remember how many years it had been going at that time I know this is the 56th year of it consecutively running in 2004, I took this class, and then from that point forward, there's nothing that can describe standing at a trailhead and looking at hundreds of pounds of equipment and then watching it get neatly mantied into what's called a manty tarp, which is just a, a chunk of canvas and 35 feet of rope, and all of a sudden you have loads that tie neatly onto the side of animals. 
And the art of that is just something that's just incredible, really. Smoke has been the person who initially got me the skill set that I needed to do that. And from that, I've built upon that pretty consistently. To answer your question, Mandela, yes, he has definitely been a mentor of mine and continues to be to this day. Jordan, can you tell us a little bit of what you know about Smoke's experience in this area, the Bob Marshall? And then we were just speaking before we started recording about how he trains the Packers in Grand Canyon National Park. What I know about it is that if you come to Smoke and you ask Smoke about any trail or any cutoff or any hidden spot that you think may exist in the Bob Marshall, he can either confirm the factuality of it, or he can tell you the truth behind the legend that it does or doesn't exist. And that goes all the way back to Native American Indian trails. That goes all the way back to mainline trails to this day that are still in use. And I know that if I'm doing a trip in the Bob Marshall, in any region of the Bob Marshall, that it's well advised for me to sit down to smoke for 10 minutes and have him just run through the map with me and let me know the good spots, the bad spots, the cool spots. I'm actually going to turn that over to Smoke to answer the question. How many nights have you spent in a sleeping bag in the backcountry in the Bob Marshall? Yeah, about 22 years. My grandkids figured this out with all the trips we ran and totaled it all up, and it figured out to a little over 22 years in the hills, sleeping in a sleeping bag on the ground. So exact 22 years is not your years of travel. 22 years is your actual time that you've spent in a sleeping bag. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've been in the hills. I started packing in the hills in 1957 and never missed a year until just recently. Smoke, I have a question for you about the evolution of you as a horse packer. So, Smoke, where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? Yeah, I grew up in a real small town in Ohio, New Waterford, Ohio. That's where I was born and raised. My grandfather had draft horses, and he worked for the county and clearing roads with his draft horses. I grew up kind of that way, but not a lot of horse connections. But then I joined the Boy Scouts, and I went to the Boy Scout camps and really liked that kind of living. When I graduated from high school, I bought an old 38 Chevy with a couple of friends, overhauled it, and drove it to Montana. And when I got to Montana, I never went back. Smoke, do you remember the first time that you were placed or climbed up onto a horse or a mule? Yep, that was at the Whitetail Ranch uh, when I really climbed on a horse and started riding, yes. Although I had done a trip with the Boy Scouts to Raton, New Mexico, to the Philmont Scout Ranch. And I rode a little there, a couple of trips there. Mainly at the Whitetail Ranch, Tom hired me. He said, you got to work two weeks for free. He said, I'm going to see what you know. And he said, in two weeks, I'll decide whether I want to keep you and and start paying you or whether you can go on down the road. So in two weeks, he hired me, and I made $400 a month and room and board. And that was good wages, and I spent the rest of the time in the Bob Marshall. The trail has traveled today leads to Smoke Elser's historic barn located at 3800 Rattlesnake Drive. It's been here for exactly how many years? When was this structure built, this barn that we're living in? Yeah, this barn was started in 1900 and then finished in about 1905. And like I said, it was in pretty poor shape, didn't have windows or electricity or anything else in it. And as time went on, we cleaned her out and put doors on it and put windows in it and added electricity. And I even have a little gas heater now that heats part of the building. And, of course, I like my wood stove. 
we're sitting right here next to the wood stove and out the window Jordan told me you have some mules and none of your mules go to auction they all retire here Can you tell us about those guys outside we retire our mules when they can't keep up anymore. We don't destroy them. We keep them right here. I trim their feet every year. They get their shots, and, and they get a little grain all winter, and, and we just take care of them because these are old friends, and I've had them for a long time. What is the lifespan of, of a mule that spends a lot of the time in the Bob Marshall? Well, this last year, a couple of our mules were a little too old. A mule can work probably 25 to 30 years, pretty easy in the Bob Marshall. Although when they get up to about 25, after that they kind of get a little slower and you may want to use them a little less and load them a little lighter. I've had mules, last year I've had to put down two mules that were in their 40s. And I have two out here right now that are in their 30s, 33 and 34. All right, Smoke, it's time for a song. Can you please share a song with us that reminds you of your early adventures? Don't fence me in. When I was back east in a small community, New Waterford, there was houses all around. I could hardly go to into the woods. You know, I had little woods there right next to us, but I didn't have any place to go. But when I got out here, lots of days I can get on a horse and ride for at least two or three days and never see another person. Nobody. And I just like that idea. I like to be able to get on a horse and you know there's nothing any better for the inside of a man than the outside of a horse and Winston Churchill said that that fits me just exactly right the trail less travel podcast is sponsored by Karuna clothing sewn with love and laughter Karuna clothing is a handcrafted from natural fabrics which soften as they age they design clothing lines to fit the moods of places which have inspired them. Designed simply and using the best fabrics, Karuna Clothing creates their own unique colours. Strong, well-sewn, small batch, unique product lines which are simply beautiful. Handmade in Missoula, Montana, all of Karuna Clothing is sewn and dyed in the US and all workers are paid good living wages. www. Dot karunaclothing.com That's K-A-R-U-N-A clothing.com Today, the trail less traveled leads to the historic barn, built in 1900, completed in 1905, and I'm sitting here with Smoke Elser, who arrived in Montana in 1955. And right after this interview, Smoke and Jordan are going to be teaching the 56th annual packing class that's taken place here at Wilderness Outfitters, 3800 Rattlesnake Drive. And this is an amazing spot to record, historic barn, crackling fire, snow outside, beautiful mules in the distance. Smoke, we were just talking about Grand Canyon, and you went down to Grand Canyon in first time in 1988, and you still are the main guy down there to teach how to pack the mules. Although I haven't gone recently just because of my age. And I'm getting, I'm 84 years old, so I'm getting up there. Mm-hmm. I taught down there. Uh, the Park Service hired me to teach their personnel how to pack Decker pack saddles. And that was my specialty. So I'd go down every year, usually at the end of March, and teach a course. And I did that the first year, and boy, they didn't have much of a facility there at all. They had big corrals, sure, full of mules, but they had no facilities to teach anybody. So I told them, I said, geez, we need to get better equipment and better places to teach. And I said, "Uh, you also need to replace some of your mules. Mm -hmm. Because going downhill two or three times a week... 
uh, seven miles down and seven miles back up, wears on those mules. And some of those mules that I was teaching these young people how to pack were pretty lame. They were pretty sore. So the next year they hired me and they said, come on down. They bought a bunch of new mules and we gave them some IQ tests and found out where we had the smart ones and where we didn't have the smart ones. And we kept those and sent the rest of them back. And uh, by that time, they had built me a place for my motor home with a sewer connection and electricity. And so I could look out and see the Grand Canyon right out of the window, right next to a real nice corral, which they had fixed up and cleared all the junk out of the way and gave me a place where I could really work. And from then on, I taught at the Grand Canyon. I think I taught nine or ten years down there, every year. And it was just a standard practice to go down and teach them how to pack. I'd usually have about 20 to 24 students. Smoke, tell us about the journey of traveling from rim to river and from river to rim and the challenges of going downhill versus uphill regarding foot traffic. Very interesting. When you hit the Bright Angel Trail and you're going to go down, you make about the first turn or two and... You'll meet hikers on both sides of the mules, and you crowd the mules to the edge, of course, because they're much more sure-footed, and you're sure they aren't going to jump off the edge. But you meet people carrying umbrellas and kids on their back and, and little kids walking alongside of them and all kinds of things. But the trail is nice. The trail is good. You go down that trail about uh, an hour, and you come to Indian Springs, there you stop. We usually take a break there. They have a, a nice little place there where you can keep stock, and, and uh, they have a ranger station there, a park ranger station. From there, you go out on the flats and go another mile, mile and a half, and then you start down towards the bridge, and you drop down over into the canyon, and you go through a tunnel, by the way, a pretty long tunnel, and you can't see the other end because it makes kind of a little kink. And then when you get to the other end, you come out of the tunnel, and about 10 feet further, you step onto a swinging bridge that goes across the Colorado River. And on the other side, you go just a, another mile down towards the Phantom Ranch. The Park Service has a ranger station there that sits right out over the river virtually. And we usually stop there quite often and go over to the Phantom Ranch and eat dinner. And then come back up either the, the Bright Angel Trail or the Canab Trail, one or the other, depending on where they wanted their mules. The Canab Trail is on the north side and the Bright Angel Trail is on the south side. What are challenges that vary different from, uh, like vastly different, or are they vastly different from traveling through the Bob Marshall versus the Grand Canyon? What do you have to consider when you're in those regions? Yeah, the, mostly the, the number of people. A lot of days I'll meet 500 to 1,000 hikers on the trail. That was really a, a problem. And then the type of gear that they use down there. You know, when I first went down there, they had gravel boxes. They hang a gravel box on each side because when it rains down there, it washes the dirt off the trail. And then that makes it sheer rock. So they want to keep that padded a little bit for the mules as well as for the guests because they can walk a little bit better on that dirt. So they had gravel boxes, but these boxes, they weighed about 30 pounds a piece. And then they'd put about 60 pounds of gravel in them or 80 pounds of gravel. And it was too heavy for the mules. The second year I went down, we took gravel bags. It's a soft bag that you can hang on each side, and you can haul the same amount of gravel, and you can dump it where you want to dump it because you open the bottom of the bag and it drains the gravel off to one side or right under the mule or wherever you want it. That and they had a lot of other things to pack, 
Punjars, which is a, a gasoline-driven drill to drill into the rock and explode, blow the rock out of their places where they needed to build it. Then a lot of heavy bars and that kind of equipment, and uh, quite a few wheelbarrows to move the gravel up and down the trail. That was the thing. We taught them how to do all those kind of things, but they had experienced people there also. They'd come along, and, and they would help me on the trail, help me with the uh, teaching of the class, but generally, I was teaching uh, people that were just hired that year, needed that experience in order to pack down to the Indian Springs and on down to the ranger station at the bottom. And, of course, they always are fixing the water line. The water supply is on the north side of the canyon. And in order to get water to the south side, they have to run it down into the canyon and back up the other side to the south rim. That water line was always a problem. They had to recover it with dirt, or they had to repair it, or it it was always a major problem. And uh, they ran all their water from there, by the way, and that's a lot of water to run for those hotels and, and all the people that live there. So we were always working on that kind of stuff. If you're just joining us, that is the voice of Smoke Elser, and Smoke has been in Montana since 1955. We're in his historic barn with a crackling fire. This barn was built in the 1900s, completed in 1905. We're sitting here on a lovely Sunday afternoon, right before Smoke and Jordan both teach a packing class. This is a 56th annual packing class. Before we go on, Jordan, since we're on the subject, how can folks find out more about Smoke, yourself, and the packing class that you guys teach? Really good way to check out the packing class is watch Facebook. Facebook has become a very powerful tool for us to get the word out there regarding this packing class. You can get in touch with information regarding the pack class through me and my saddle shop, Sun River Saddlery. And then Smoke, how do people most likely find out about it directly through Wilderness Outfitters Consulting Group? Yeah, I don't use any of them fancy machines. Usually they find out by me just by word of mouth and my students. When students leave this class, they generally bring students back the next year. Yeah. This year is no exception. I have three generations taking the packing class. Father, grandfather, and sons. That's what happens. And they just pass it on to other people. Now, when we come back a little later, I want to talk to you about the Bob Marshall. Because all added up, you have spent 22 years of your life in the Bob Marshall. No, 22 years of his life in a sleeping bag in the Bob Marshall. Oh, okay. Oh, 55 yeah. years. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. So guys, correct me. Smoke has spent over 55 years of his life in the Bob Marshall wilderness, and 22 of those have been actually inside of a sleeping bag sleeping on the ground. Yeah. When we come back, I want to talk to you more about the Bob. But since we've been talking about mules and IQ tests, uh, I'm very curious about how you give a mule an IQ test and why that's relevant. It might be obvious for some, but, you know, we might have someone listening for the first time, maybe in New York City, who doesn't know about what these animals are doing and how much you're trusting them. And then also, why are we using a mule and its sure-footedness versus a horse? How have they changed as far as when you add the genes of a horse with the genes of a donkey? They make an extraordinary, friendly animal. Most people think they're not very friendly, but we've found that if you understand them a little bit, they make a very friendly animal and one that you can work with. They don't hurt themselves very easily, and they usually don't have very many diseases and sicknesses that they get. If a mule gets tangled up in wire or anything, he'll quite often just stand there if it hurts until somebody comes and releases him. I like that. Horses quite often tear themselves apart. Yeah, I give all my horses and mules an IQ test. 
I don't buy an animal for his color. And I do buy them somewhat for their conformation, but I just want an animal that can travel straight, has pretty good feet, and is smart. That's why I always give them an IQ test. At least that's what I call it. And what I do is I go to a person that's going to sell me a horse or a mule. They'll jump on and ride him around bareback and pick up all his feet and pull his tail and crawl under his belly and everything. And they say, boy, you got to have this mule or this horse. And they say, he's gentle and you can do anything with him. He's really good. And they usually tell you a little story about his age. You know, they usually try to sell you when it's three or four years old, but he might be eight or ten. That doesn't make much difference with me. I want to find out how smart they are. The owner will always offer me, he says, you want to ride him, you better get on and ride him around and, and throw a load on him and see how he acts. I don't want to do that. I said, no, what I want you to do, I want you to get out of sight. Go over there behind the truck. You can watch, but get over behind the truck. Watch what I'm going to do. And I'll just take that mule right now, and I usually grab a hold of the halter and lead the mule out into the middle of the corral or the ring that we're in. And I'll take off my vest or my hat, and I put it down on the ground. This mule has never seen me before, this horse or mule. And I just put it down on the ground and take his halter off, go over to the gate, and go out, and I kind of disappear too behind a truck or somewhere, behind a barn maybe, and uh, kind of watch with my eyes. And most horses and mules, something strange in their corral, the first thing they'll do is they'll snort at it and then run around the outside edge and uh, snort at it a few times and and they won't go near it uh, if they don't go near it I don't want him but if uh, about five minutes ten minutes of that kind of process quite often the smart horses or smart mules will eventually come up to that hat or that vest or whatever is laying there and they'll pick it up and shake it or they'll stomp on it or whatever I'll buy that guy because that animal shows me that he is curious. And if he shows me curiosity, I have a mule that I can trust because he showed curiosity. And that's very important also with the students that I teach through all the courses that I teach. I teach in Oregon and all over the country. And if they show me curiosity, once I get them into a class and they show me a little curiosity, I never lose them. And we can teach them how to pack. My horses are exactly the same way. So I give them an IQ test. They show me how smart they are. Then I'm all set. I have an animal that I can train and that I can use and be safe in the hills and trust. Curiosity is a great thing. You're on the trail less traveled, and today the trail leads to the historic barn owned by Smoke Elser. This barn was built in the 1900s. Completed in 1905, we sit next to a crackling fire just before both Smoke and Jordan are going to teach a packing class, the 56th annual packing class taught here. Now I'm going to hand it over to Jordan Knutson, who is also a very experienced horse packer, mule packer, and saddle maker. Right, Jordan? We actually do build leather goods. We have somewhat of a niche that we fit because uh, we do not build any custom riding saddles. But we do, however, build all forms of leather goods pertaining to backcountry travel. It's something that gives us an outlet to both own and use very high-quality gear as well as instruct others and have them have an outlet for high-quality gear because as with any expedition, your gear makes or breaks the experience. And so that's something that Smoke and I actually try to teach people when they take the packing class is where to find good, safe, high-quality gear 
that is hopefully domestically made and hopefully Montana made because then we know that it will live up to the challenges that are to come. That is partially what we do. I guess one of the reasons that we enjoy mules and horses both, but primarily mules as pack animals, is part of their drive system. Horses tend to drive with their hind end and balance with their front end. Mules are kind of more four-wheel drive. They both balance and drive with all four feet. And then mules have hybrid vigor going for them because they're obviously a sterile hybrid animal. And that being the case, that hybrid vigor plays very well into their self-preservation instincts. And so that self-preservation gets them to where when they're in a bad situation, they tend to look at a survival versus a panic. So they go to a thinking mode versus a flight mode. And so that's one reason that we really like mules, not to mention they're just fun animals. I have a question for both of you. Um, Say humans never came around and befriended the equine. Do you think that horses and donkeys would have bred on their own? Or was that completely a hand of the humans involved with that one? It's funny you asked me that question. We just had this conversation with a Bureau of Land Management person. Back up a little bit to finish the story is I have very good friends that work with the Forest Service and the Trails Program, and they have partnered in with the Bureau of Land Management. Because of a whole lot of budgetary constraints, the Forest Service is having a harder and harder time purchasing animals. So they've come up with a way that the Bureau of Land Management owns these Mustangs. These Mustangs go through incarcerated training to where they go to, uh, like Carson City, Nevada, is a prison to where they train these Mustangs and turn them into saddle horses. And we were having that conversation that they actually indeed will round up wild mules off of the desert down there. What they have found, however, is going back to that hybrid vigor. They're not impossible to train, but they are one of the hardest animals that any of these guys have ever seen to train because their survival instincts are so incredible versus a purebred horse or a purebred donkey that when they are bred in the wild, they become quite a challenge. You're on the trail as traveled, recording today in Smoke Elser's historic barn. And Smoke, it's time for another song. Is there a song that reminds you of your time packing and riding in Grand Canyon National Park? Uh, Home on the Range. I like that song real well. When I drive from Missoula, Montana to the Grand Canyon, I travel through a lot of range country I enjoy seeing. It just reminds me of the, of the Grand Canyon. That's my only tie to that particular song. Because I'm in the hills all the time, I don't have a radio. So I can't listen to songs all the time. Uh, So I have to sing them, and I'm not a very good singer. (laughs) But the mules don't know that. My mules know. Today, the trail leads to the historic barn owned by Smoke Elser. Smoke came here to Montana in 1955, and this afternoon he's teaching the 56th annual packing class along with Jordan Knutson. And I'm just going to hand it over to Smoke, who's sitting by his crackling fire. Smoke, there's always a time in the interview where I ask the storyteller to tell us about where you're sitting right now. Two weeks ago, we were sitting in Fjordland National Park, New Zealand, surrounded by vertical 4,500-foot peaks getting eaten alive by sandflies. 
And now we're sitting next to the crackling fire, drinking black coffee in your barn, but that's a pretty lame description. I'd love it if you could look around, maybe even stand up and look out your window at your mules and just paint the picture as best as you can for someone listening at home. Yeah, well, I'm sitting in my office, which is my barn. It's about 140 feet long and 40 feet wide, all stone barn. And I can look out the window and see my mules on one side and see my uh, beautiful scenery on the other side, which is looking up on open space. Montana, over the years, has developed open space. And when I first moved up here, I had all my horses on those hills. But now, because the, the city has bought this as open space for everyone, now I don't keep my mules up there anymore, but I still have open space that I can look out and see the country. And I just enjoy coming out here in a barn. This is where I spend my time when I'm not in the hills, which is uh, only in the winter. In the summer, I'm gone all the time into the Bob Marshall, which is my home country. But I also have packed into a lot of other places. Smoke, let's talk about the Bob. You have spent 55 years of your life there. Yeah, that's kind of my home. Uh, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, you know, I got a letter a number of years ago from back east, a young high school kid sent me a letter and it was addressed to Bob Marshall, Mr. Bob Marshall. And he thought I was Bob Marshall because he thought that in the hills I'd been Bob Marshall. But I spend a lot of time in the Bob Marshall. I've traveled, I think, virtually all the trails and camped in virtually all the places that are good camping and some that are not so good. But uh, lots of good fishing, good hunting, wide open country country that I enjoyed. Bob Marshall, he was born in 1901 and lived to 1939, a very young man. He was raised back east near Washington, D.C. His father was a constitutional lawyer, and Bob Marshall, of course, went to college to become a lawyer also. But his father wanted him to experience not only the Adirondack country, but also the West. So he sent his son, Bob, to Montana, to work for the Forest Service. His first job was out here with uh, Seven Act Nursery, where he planted trees at a young age of about 18 or 19. Now, he worked for the Forest Service, and in that period of time, he tried to climb all the mountains he possibly could. And the story goes that he traveled sometimes over 40 miles on trail. He would hike in one day 40 miles. That was his legacy. Bob Marshall loved this part of the country. He uh, spent a lot of time out here over the few years that he was alive. He uh, kept trying to make more wilderness survive. He was the first man that developed a map of the roadless land in the United States. Of course, he went to Congress several times promoting wild country and wilderness areas. He died on a train going back to Washington, D.C. from Missoula, Montana. As a matter of fact, he spent a lot of time here in Missoula as well as in all the mountain ranges right around Missoula here. It's said that he's climbed all the highest peaks in this area. Smoke, with the amount of years that you've spent traveling in the backcountry, what was your average in the Bob Marshall Wilderness of miles traveled annually via horseback at the ever-sedate and ever-intoxicating rate of three miles per hour? Average trips were usually between 100 and 115, 120 miles, 25 miles in eight days. And over the summer, my horses would move about 1,000 to 1,500 miles a summer. My family also went in with me many times 
My daughter was helped me as she was a wrangler at one time, a packer. She packed mules for me for several years, and uh, we just traveled a lot of country. I guess I would say that my average was about a thousand miles a year every year for the last 55 years. Now, Smoke, your daughter just walked in, and I don't mean to put her on the spot, but uh, what's her name? I'm Tammy. Tammy, hi, Mandela. Nice Mandela, to, nice lovely to meet you. To meet you. you too. I know your voice. <laughs> and who's and who's this little puppy oh, this here? Is, this is Spuds. This is my dad's dog, Spuds. Oh, it's Smoke's dog right there. I would love to have you ask your dad what to maybe retell your favorite story that he told you of his time in the Bob Marshall. Oh, favorite? Which favorite? Oh my goodness. Well, I know what I know what my favorite is, and it involves two ice cream cones and one large chocolate shake. You tell the story. No. Oh yeah. no, Dad! You have to tell the story. I tell the story. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> Dropped off a float trip, which with the entire party, it took us two days to get into White River, and it took us only one day to come back out. Unfortunately, we had to take all of the saddle horses out, strung together. And to be very kind to me, my father allowed me to lead all ten saddle horses in one long string. And saddle horses really don't know how to lead. It was torture. We rode from White River all the way out over, where'd we go? Over Holbrook. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, out Holland Lake. And when we finally got there, it was pretty late, going on 8 o'clock in the evening. We'd been in the saddle for 12 hours plus essentially without stopping because we'd left a kitchen up on the top of the pass. We got done and we got the horses taken care of and we started on our way home in the stock truck and trailer and there's this place right between Missoula and Holland Lake called Seeley with some really, really good ice cream. And he ended up with a cone in each hand and a shake between his knees as he's driving down that narrow highway. And they were gone. That's awesome. <laughs> so, Smoke, from my experience in the Bob Marshall, I have a spot I'm very fond of, Basin Creek. And you can access Basin Creek from both the east side or the west side of the divide. Would you mind giving a little bit of history because it's a very unique area and you and I have discussed it and I was surprised by some of the history back there, but would you mind sharing that with the listeners regarding the big open areas back there and what they actually are and were in years gone by? Yeah, Basin Creek, is it's a large open area, but the Forest Service made it somewhat open because they have a, an airfield there. It's a grass strip. They use it to fight fires mainly. And they also use it for survival when we were in World War II, the bombers that we were shipping to Russia to use against the Germans, they would come up over the Continental Divide and then run into trouble and be able to land on that airfield. The airfield is about 5,000 feet long. You can still, if you know where you're looking, you can still see remnants of what went on there. So it's really a unique airfield. Of course, when the Bob Marshall was turned into the wilderness area, that was canceled from then on. No planes land there anymore at all. They're not allowed to. The only place they can land in the Bob Marshall is Schaefer Meadow, which is on the northern end of the Bob Marshall complex. 
that airstrip, that was actually put in because when they were flying those bombers back and forth from, say, Malmstrom and all of that area, if they had mechanical difficulty, they needed to have a place to set them down. So to kind of get the mental image in your head, you, we're, we're picturing a bomber sitting in the middle of an absolute, complete rural wilderness area, and it was the only safe place to set an airplane down as it went over the Continental Divide. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's always just intrigued me, especially standing in the middle of the airstrip myself uh, and looking out and all you see is, you know, grazing mules and horses and so on. And then picturing the fact that that was actually integral to the World War II and uh, aviation that was going on at that time. It's very intriguing. Smoke, if you don't mind sharing it, what is in your brain your favorite spot to either camp or spend an overnight we all have our fond places as we're roving through the Bob Marshall, but what's uh, your favorite spot for a layover day when you're just going to be there and you're not having to get up the next morning and pack 10 or 15 head and get rolling? What's your favorite spot to have a layover day? Boy, that's hard to explain, you know. They've asked me not too long ago which my favorite spot in the Bob Marshall was, and I said, well, it's from Holland Lake to Hungry Horse to Shoto to Lincoln <laughs> into Missoula, the whole thing, because I like it all. Uh, but I guess Half Moon Park was probably one of my favorite places. I'd been there a lot. Uh, not many people get to Half Moon Park, uh, and it's just a great place. Uh, the mountains make a, a half moon around you. The spring, by the way, there is, stays at 34 degrees year-round. Never changes. We've measured it. You're on the trail less traveled, and today we're recording in a barn that is 108-plus years old. It's owned by Smoke Elser, who arrived in Montana in 1955, and he's teaching his 56th annual backing class along with Jordan Knutson, who is sitting next to us. So you've been hearing the voices of both Jordan and his mentor, Smoke. So as we start to close the show, I'd like to ask Smoke, what's one of the most important things as far as when you're approaching an animal for the first time, potentially a scared mule or horse, and how do you gain that trust? As well as, can you tell us about that relationship that you form with an animal that you spend so many thousands of miles on the back of in the backcountry? Yeah, when I uh, approach an animal, the first thing you, you want to be is you need to be calm. A lot of people, when they approach the animal the first time, they're a little frightened of it. And if you're frightened, the animal's going to be frightened. So... First thing I do is kind of turn my back to the animal, tell myself, okay, now I've never seen this meal before, be calm. And walk up to the animal, usually at a quarter, that is facing him, and I don't stare in his eyes at all. Instead, I look at his feet or his shoulder, but I don't stare in his eyes because that's a, a warning of a predator. So, and then as soon as I get fairly close, try to touch him, using a calm, mild voice all the time, never get excited and never uh, holler or anything like that at him and just move closer to the animal until I can touch him. And once I touch him a few times, I run my hand along his back and his neck, try to stay away from his face right away. But as time goes on, then I'm able to reach up and touch his ears maybe and touch his face. Uh, that's how I approach him. But I generally have my back to them to start with because I want them to know that I'm not a predator coming after them. So I approach them then with, at a quarter. 
once I do that, you know, and then uh, after a few days or a few times working with that animal, you know, you get to where I can call them, talk to them. They talk back to me because I understand horse language and mule language. We just create a bond that I can talk all the animals I've had. I know all the horses and mules, all their names are on the wall up there that have died over the years that I've had and worked with, put through their paces in the backcountry. Uh, once you live with an animal, which I do, you learn to respect them and they learn to respect you. And that's an important thing. An animal has to have your respect and you have to have his respect. That's where I like to be. You have been on the trail less traveled, recorded inside of Smoke Elser's historic barn located in the Rattlesnake. This barn was built in 1905, or at least completed then. We're sitting here by the crackling fire. Smoke and Jordan are about to teach the 56th annual packing class. Smoke, after spending 55 years in the Bob Marshall, can you please share with us three bits of advice? Find a good horse. Find a good horse and make sure you know where you're going and go into the Bob Marshall. That's the best advice I can give you. I think the Bob Marshall has a lot of things to offer. It'll allow you to obtain peace of mind. If you have to figure out a problem, go into Bob Marshall. It'll help you figure it out. Smoke, you have been in Montana since 1955. You have your historic barn here in the Rattlesnake. Why is Missoula, Montana special to your heart? It's kind of the hub of five different wilderness areas right here. We have the Bob Marshall and the, the Bitterit Selway, Mission Mountains, Welcome Creek. They're all right here. Anaconda Pentlers, they're all right here around Missoula. And it has a university, which gives me a lot of good, reliable graduates who want to work in the hills for a year or two before they find their occupation. I love to train and teach young people how to appreciate the wilderness and the backcountry. Smoke, what song would you like to end your show with? Ghost Riders by Vaughn Monroe. That has a, f a special meaning to me because a long time ago when I was first getting started, I was in a hunting camp. I, um, I had my own hunting camp and I had four hunters in. And the four hunters were sitting there and they had hunted all over the world. And one of them had a grand slam and sheep, as a matter of fact. And they had just come from Colorado. They come up and went on a hunting trip with us. Lo and behold, about the fourth day of the hunt, we got a real terrific snowstorm, and it was blowing and howling outside. So everybody crowded into the tents, and we built up the fire and started telling stories. I told some stories. The other guys told some stories. And one older gentleman, he came up, and he said, i got to tell you a story, Smoke. It's about ghost riders in the sky. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I just came from Colorado. We got snowed in down there in a heck of a storm. And we were high up in the Colorado mountains there. The By golly, we were snowed in for the second day and couldn't do a thing. I mean, everything was closed up. And by golly, all of a sudden, we heard the tinkle of a bell way off somewhere. The outfitter went out and he said, geez, I don't know what that is for sure. Uh, anyway, we listened and we could hear that tinkle of the bell again. It kept getting a little closer and a little closer. And finally, the outfitter 
opened the tent door and looked out, and here was a, a man covered with snow with two dogs, one on each side of him, and he was a Basque sheep herder. And there was a thousand head of sheep around our hunting camp at that time. The Basque sheep herder, speaking very poor English, came in and got warmed up, and we gave him some soup and hot coffee. He sat there for an hour or two, and finally he told us a story. He said, I saw the ghost riders chasing my herd of sheep, and they chased them right to this camp, to your fire, and to the heat of your stoves. And I'll never forget that. He said, by the way, the guy in the Colorado camp was a guy by the name of Vaughn Monroe, the singer of the Ghost Riders in the Sky. So every time I'm in the hills, you know, that's the way I want to be. I want to be a Ghost Rider in the Sky. Namaste Missoula, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the world. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and you can also find it on Spotify. Visit traillesstraveled.net to see pictures and archive previous episodes. I'd like to thank my guest for this week, local living legend, Smoke Elser. After graduating from the University of Montana, Smoke spent the next 45 years as a wilderness outfitter in the Bob Marshall Wilderness and has spent more than 56 years as an instructor in packing, horsemanship, and minimal impact camping. He has missed only one or two years of traveling in the Bob Marshall each and every year for the past 56 years. It may be noted that he failed miserably at retirement. Smoke has been featured in National Geographic and is the co-author of the book Packing In on Mules and Horses, a well-known how-to book on packing and horsemanship. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for the show is to take you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week for the past seven years, I've been interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled was recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or on location around the world in order for me to find these adventurers and connect with them in their natural habitat. Tonight's unique interview was recorded in Smoke Elser's 113-year-old historic barn in the Rattlesnake, wearing cowboy boots next to a crackling fire, drinking muddy black coffee, surrounded by thick snow and retired mules. It's the trail less traveled, y'all. Community source for adventure information and inspiration. Sunday nights at 6. If the show has ever inspired you or made you laugh, please take a moment to write us a review on iTunes in order to help this new genre of adventure radio. My adventure tip this week is when you encounter mules on the trail, follow the directions of the mule wrangler. Otherwise, step to the side of the trail that is away from the edge and remain quiet and still. Well, that's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, get outside and shred the gnar. Because as you know, the gnar does not shred itself.